for us to really transform from a place of desperation, we have to recognize that desperation and the ego will shatter, but generally momentarily. And at that moment, the ego shattered. I was sitting in my living room and I just realized it was up. I had nothing left. I had no more bad consequences left. I had no more apologies left. It was either suicide or change. Welcome back to the Mindset Mastery Podcast. Today, we are talking about personal transformation. Joining me on the show is ultra endurance athlete, RJ Singh, to talk us through his journey, which involved violence, crime, youth detention, and chronic addiction. With the support of mentors, he developed his own framework to rebuild and refocus his mind, body, and spirit complex to transform his life. To perform at our peak and achieve a higher level of success in all areas of life, we require intention, discipline, and solid habits. To expand on this, I am very pleased to welcome RJ Singh to the show. How are you doing today, RJ? Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for uh, having me and you're finally sitting down here and having this conversation. I know that we missed each other the last couple of weeks, so I'm really super excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's been a bit of a work in progress to get here, but here we yeah. are. So I would love to hear your story from the very beginning. So can you take me back to where it all started and then what led you down the journey you are now pursuing self-mastery and personal transformation? Yeah, so I think it's important to, to preface that I'm no guru. I'm just a dude that's kind of bumped and fell my way through this and through kind of reflecting on what helped me get from an absolute dysfunctional drug and alcohol addict, kind of hopeless, useless, and helpless in every shape, way, and form to a high-performing person. It is kind of been my experience that there was a process there, right? And in reflection, I was able to kind of capture what that process was. But at the time, I had no real idea what I was doing. So I was born in Australia. And we migrated to the San Francisco Bay Area when I was three years old. And I lived a typical immigrant's life. You know, dad was working a lot. He had a cleaning company. Him and his brother were building that cleaning company. They were cleaning by night, trying to build the business by day. So I didn't really see dad a lot. Dad had his own limitations as a father and as many of us have had parents that are imperfect. All of us have parents that are imperfect. He struggled to probably be the father um, that he wanted to be, right? But he did provide. Growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 80s and 90s was a really great place to be. I mean, we see the tech revolution. We see a lot of culture, a lot of music, a lot of innovation, a lot of thought leadership coming out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And it's certainly at the time, we didn't see it like that, but that's the environment that we grew up in. And it was a very special place on reflection. I think for me, from a very, very young age, I was incredibly uncomfortable in my own skin. And I don't think this is uncommon, which led me to act out. I was hyperactive. I couldn't sit still. I was all over the shop, always in trouble, highly intellectual, 
but the environments in school just didn't know how to manage my level of energy. And I think ultimately my acting out superseded my drive to do well in school. And, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, I'm getting into trouble already. And by the age of 13, I had my first drink of alcohol and it was a spiritual experience. Like, I kid you not, there was like, I remember drinking and just thinking to myself, this is something I will never, ever be able to stop. It just, it just anchored me. And there was this moment of like serenity and peace between the ears that I was to chase for the next 13 years. Now that path led me down violence, gangs, drug dealing, in and out of incarceration from boys' homes to juvenile halls to rehabs to eventually adult prisons and jails. And at the age of 26, I was a multiple convicted felon um, staring down the barrel of another long or a very long prison sentence if I didn't change. And I certainly wasn't on the path to change. And some shit went down and, you know, I was already in a situation where I was kind of dealing with the U.S. immigration. I had never become a U.S. citizen. The rest of the family had. When you're running the streets, you're not concerned with admin and doing, you know, going to get your citizenship. And they already wanted me out of the country, really. And I, I caught, caught up in some stuff. And instead of sticking around, I just left. And then I came to Australia. And that was really interesting when I got here. You know, that was the beginning of another chapter. I wasn't to change immediately. There was two or three years of very dark drinking. I didn't have the familiar places, the familiar faces. I didn't have the comfort of being in an environment that was comfortable. And I hit a rock bottom in 2010 when I had three DUIs. And I was facing the same situation here that I was in the U.S. And that's when I, that's, that's when I had my, I guess you can call it come to Jesus moment, not literally, but you know, that was the beginning of the end of that life for me. Yeah, wow. I can unpack that whole life yeah. if, as much as you want or, or not, but there's that, that, that whole existence in, in San Francisco was, there's a lot in that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what was that, that turning moment for you? What was the next step you took then to kind of turn around and go, okay, I need to change something. What, what did that look like? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So the ego is a interesting mechanism where for us to really transform from a place of desperation, we have to recognize that desperation and the ego will shatter, but generally momentarily. And at that moment, the ego shattered. I was sitting in my living room and I just realized it was up. I had, no, I had nothing left. I had no more bad consequences left. I had no more apologies left. It was either suicide or change because I wasn't willing to live that life anymore. I was coming home battered and bruised. It was like fight club. Every time I went out to have a drink, I was, you know, the sessions were turning darker, quicker. And 
something was going to happen. And I had that moment of serene acceptance that I can't live like this. And I kid you not, there was an immediate weight off my shoulders. And there's something in that when we decide to surrender to win and we decide there's a skill in understanding when to give up to win. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where there was no more battle with the demon. I needed to succumb to the fact that I couldn't dance with the demon anymore. And I did. And I immediately went into solution mode. And for me, the benefit of being in and out of drug abuse in the, in, in the United States at, at a young age, I was exposed to a lot of 12 steps. So I got involved immediately in 12 step recovery. And I knew there was a solution there. I'd seen it work for people. I had seen it work for myself temporarily. And that was the beginning in 2010 of, of a journey. I also had the benefit of getting some, or I had some mentors in my life at that time that also helped me redirect that energy as well in other positive areas. Yeah, yeah. What were those things? Where did you redirect that? And I imagine it's not just, you know, you make a decision and the next day we start working at, this is our process. So what did that look like in the first few months of that? And where did you redirect that energy? Yeah, two things. So I redirected into Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm not here to preach Alcoholics Anonymous for anyone that's in addiction. You, you, you just need to find your tribe in terms of where you find your help. An addict using or, or drinking is no good to themselves or anyone other, and you'll never be able to achieve. So we kind of have to deal with that. And I redirected my energy into business, into sales. So I was in a privately owned company at the time, and there was a very, very um, interested director in terms of this director was a natural teacher, and he loved the hard case. There was a lot of universal synchronicity in the situation. He had lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. He loved the Bay Area culture. He was an Aussie. He was young. I related to him. He connected to me. I could see I could be like him. And he provided me a path in his business. So I redirected all my energy into sales because that's what I was doing in the streets anyways. Now there's this guy saying, hey, you can actually do this in a legal framework. You can use your natural born gift to hustle, to move and groove and influence in a legal framework. I started to build a new sense of purpose and I anchored it also with running lots of, obviously for the, the endorphins. And, you know, I did a lot of my drinking at night. So I did a lot of running at night. I would run hours, but I needed to, to anchor myself. So it's important in your question is well pointed in the sense that if you are trying to move through a habituated process that is negative, you have to find something more powerful to replace it. Because the thing that's yelling at you the loudest will get the attention. And if it's drugs and alcohol, if they are your purpose and your outlet, and you don't have something to replace that or redirect it, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Habits, you know, new habits can be really hard to build, but I think it's probably even harder to break old habits, especially really strong ones, like you say. So you kind of already answered that in the way that you replaced it with something else that gave you the endorphins, but 
what would your advice be for someone who is in a similar position and wants to make a change, but is really struggling to stop the old habits and make new habits? The first thing is in, in a transformation of that magnitude, like if we're talking about addiction or we're talking about like extreme obesity, or we're talking about, you know, anything that is really impacting our lives in a way that we're not living and we're in bondage we're effectively slaves. We have to have a deep recognition and surrender to the fact that we can no longer live like this. There has to be that. And then what we need to do is we, when we start to find purpose in other areas and we start to, there's a rebuilding of identity an intentional rebuilding of identity that occurs. Right. So look at in my case, I got into sales. People started to say, wow, you're good at this. And I started to build new confidence because I had never confidence. Like people always told me I had potential, but it was like a loose comment people told me. Right. Like, and I started to get results and my environment started to tell me, hey, you're actually good at this. And I started getting paid and commissions and the adulation and all that stuff that comes. I'm now reasserting and realigning my identity in a different direction, right? So what ends up happening is that identity shift starts to reaffirm itself because it becomes this kind of virtuous cycle, right? So I'm doing things, I'm getting success. People are telling me, wow, you're really good at this. And I start to anchor myself within those behaviors and what I'm doing that's becoming and helping me get successful or move away from the previous space I was in. And then I, the, where the habits come in is you start to become intentional about anchoring that new identity, right? So that may mean that for anyone, and, and that can work in a, a much smaller capacity as well, wanting to lose, you know, there's this thing, you know, from the couch to five kilometers, right? Like it, it doesn't have to be, this mammoth crucible, but what we need to do is we need to use willpower at first. There has to be some deciding factor that the way I currently am is not working. That has to happen. We're either moved by pleasure or pain. Those are two things that will move us. We need to find either the pleasure that we want to move towards or the pain that we need to move away from. And once we start to do that, we can then start to anchor ourselves and then develop new habits that correlate and drive that behavior. But it's, it's got to be intentional because motivation, and that's my problem, Rachel, with the motivation movement, it's too dependent on how you feel. It's about commitment. Commitment is sexier than motivation, although it doesn't make cool posters. Like no one wants to hear commit. They want to hear like inspire and, you know, like, yeah. Okay. Well, what happens tomorrow when I feel like shit, you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think another thing we talk about yeah, motivation and finding the willpower willpower is really great in the short term, but it wears out. And eventually it's like a muscle that gets tired and you get to even the end of the day and say you are on a weight loss journey. That's when you want to stop at the shop and grab some chocolate and things like that, because the willpower is used up. So falling back on that, 
willpower aside, what do you need to have to, to fall back on to keep you going? And that's the, the commitment that you're talking about. What will happen is when you start to define your, there's a double-edged sword here too. And there's a, there's a, there's a piece beyond the formation of our identity, but most people never get to creating a healthy identity. There comes a point for an individual like me where your habits and your commitment can actually become a boomerang and hit you in the face, but that's another piece. Then you have to learn to become agile later on. But in, in the process that we're talking about, when you start to define yourself, you know, you're talking about the dude or, you know, the girl that goes to the gym, the CrossFit gym, she's insecure, she's a bit overweight, she sees these gun CrossFit chicks out there just smashing shit, and she's like, you know what, I'm going to get involved, and she does a CrossFit session, she starts to go and hang out, joins the gym, starts to get involved on Tuesday, Thursday night trainings, and then what starts to happen is the, the people, the environment, the winds will fuel her to continue. And what she'll realize within a very sh short space and time is CrossFit is not something she's doing. It's become part of who she is. So I don't do fitness. Fitness is what I am. It is a part of me. It's not something I have to will myself to do because it's inherently who I am. So the point is, is that most people fall off the journey before that behavior becomes integrated into who they are. Now, there's a gap between when they start and that, right? So there's a gap between when you start something and then when you truly start to integrate that behavior in, in, into who you are. And that's where you use things like groups, tribes, you know, friends, communities, you start to research, you start to educate yourself about whatever that new form of habit is, and you become that, that, that facilitates and keeps that passion going. But what an individual will realize is that if they continue at it, and they are somehow inspired to continue at it, and the one thing I can't give you is why, Right, like everyone, if, if that person doesn't have that why, that desperation, again, to be motivated to move towards pleasure, move away from pain, no habits will sustain anything. That's the one X factor in the equation that you can't actually, I believe, bestow to anyone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something we talk about a lot on this show is finding that why and finding a strong why, because if it's, you have a reason for doing it, but it's not strong enough. And like you say, the desperation is not there, then that's not going to be able to carry you forward and carry you through the days that you don't feel like turning up. What I also love is you talk about doing it uh, in a group, finding a community, because I think it can be so hard to do things by yourself and you can lose the motivation and the willpower to do it. So surrounding yourself in a group or finding a mentor or a coach or a community, I think that's a really great takeaway. Is that something that has helped you through your own personal journey? Two things with that. One, the, the why. We'll typically find the why where our trauma is. Trauma can be leveraged into something positive. So if any of your listeners 
want to know where they can find their why, it's typically through trauma. And if you can use your trauma as a platform, yes, it can become, it can, it can get out of hand. That's another down the path, down the track struggle. But at that point, you'll know what to do because you'll be evolved enough to understand how to then ensure that it doesn't get out of hand and you're not doing it for the wrong reasons is a, is a way to mask your, your trauma. But in terms of starting, I think trauma is great for your why, finding the connection as to how you can leverage that. And the, and the second part is the community. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous did for me. If you look at Johan Hari's work on addiction, he talks about and agreed to a certain extent that the anecdote to addiction is connection. If you find a tribe of people that provide a roadmap to from where you are to where you can get to, and you can connect with those people and you can see yourself as them, and and, and you've got the wherewithal and the why and you're developing yourself along that journey, that is powerful. That is super, super powerful versus doing it on your own, which is much harder, much harder. Yeah, especially to take those first few steps. Once you have some progress and you can see more of that destination or that light at the end of the tunnel, I think definitely that that makes that easier. But yeah, I love that about the community and finding that tribe. That's great. I want to ask you another question. This is kind of more about your life now and your journey now. What does it mean to you to have self-mastery? That's a great question. So Self-mastery to me is having the awareness and vision of my blind sides and a kind of 360 degree view of my operating system to the extent that I can then make the right decisions, the right choices that move me in the, in the right positive direction, right? So I think a lot of us have the ability to know our strengths and potentially how that may impact us in a positive way. But what a lot of people don't have is an awareness of the blind sides within their operating systems that actually are moving them away from their true north, right? So for me, life, the unfoldings of life, daily life, provides an opportunity to rub up against things, people, situations. And my grasp on self-mastery enables me to then manage those situations skillfully. See, I, I talk about life. And when I talk about a successful life, I would equate it to being able to manage life skillfully because I believe it's a skill. It's not inherent. And it's not something that some of us just have and others don't. It's skill because all of us have these gremlins. We also have positive stuff. And it's about the path of self-mastery is how do we bring ourselves the best self to the situation at any given time? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's fantastic when you say it like that, because if it's a skill then that means anyone can learn how to do it. Anyone can learn how to do a new skill. And I think sometimes you might look at 
at someone that you idolize or aspire to be, but you don't think that you can get there because you believe they're just like that. They were born that way, but that is absolutely not the case. And anyone can learn these skills to transform their life and develop their own self-mastery. 120,000%. And here's the go as well. Like self-mastery to me is beyond craft, right? So I'm not talking about Michael Jordan or Ronaldo, right? You, you look at what they do within their craft. They're completely dedicated to the pursuit of their craft. I don't know how they operate the rest of their lives. They may operate well, but what I'm trying to say is self-mastery is about bringing what is needed. Self-mastery, enabled self-mastery allows me to bring what's needed to any given situation and add value. Home, work, life, whatever. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, it's all other areas of our life. It's not just craft, just career, just sport. It's that holistic full life approach. It has to be that way. And you'll re- and, and, and people that have kids will realize that you can't teach your children excellence if you compartmentalize your own excellence at work only. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work that way. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I want to talk about habits and especially your business and your website is called Ultra Habits and just the the term Ultra Habits. What do you mean by that? Instead of just having, you know, everyday habits, I think there's a lot of weight in the idea behind Ultra Habits. That's a great question. And I'll give you the, the answer, which really isn't as sexy as one would think. Ultra Habits is really... When I refer to ultra, it's about consistency of habits. So there's no habit in itself that is like the silver bullet. It's about a consistency of those habits. And the word ultra comes from, you know, my my running, right, within the ultra endurance world, which right now I'm not doing because of the move and, 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 and work and, and whatnot. So I'm off for six months, but I have an ultra mindset really in the ultra endurance community, which I found later on after many, many years of being sober and being in business really encapsulated what, where my mindset was already at. And it brought together my love of running and this kind of when you're involved in things like the ultra community or any endeavor, which is all consuming, you have to live very intentionally, super intentionally. Like there's no room for arbitrary decisions, right? In terms of when you're going to wake up, how much sleep you require, you throw the, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm not doing it for, um, a, a, a nine to five job. I can't just sleep during the day. I've got a family, I've got a business. I've got people that have no less expectations of me because I've run 25 kilometers at 6 a.m. before a busy work day. You have to have your shit together. And so it was really bringing that love of ultra and my love of habits 
And people say, well, how did you fall on habits? Well, in one way, shape or form, I was addicted to bad habits before. And now it is a reorientation towards good habits. So I brought together that. And really the focus with Ultra Habits has been the executive community in, the, in commerce and business. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And I think like you say, consistency, it's really not that sexy. And it's really not what we want to do sometimes. But it's the most important thing to really get to where we want to be, whether that's health or career or whatever it might be, consistently, intentionally moving in that direction and building those habits up. Rachel, if you think about it, consistency in our behavior, it's all we really have. You know, without getting overly philosophical about it, you know, the exterior veneer that the world presents to us and the appearances and how things change, circumstances change, people's opinions change. The only thing that we really have is the way we interface with life moment to moment and consistency fronting up doing the required work one foot in front of the other is liberating. There's salvation there in a world that is not consistent. Yeah, absolutely. So to bring it all together, if you want someone to take away one thing from this episode, what would that be? Yeah, I would say to own your morning. Start the morning, have a routine, have a process, whether that's exercise, prayer, meditation, wake up well before the rest of the world does and really be intentional with how you face your day. Because if you don't own your day, your day will. And if you go into the day with a groundedness, you, you've already been up, you've already contemplated, you go in calm, you're going to find that your day is going to unfold, even if things aren't going well in the contents of the day, you'll be in a much better place to manage it better. Yeah, that's fantastic. So RJ, where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, thanks, Rachel. So uh, www.ultrahabits.co. I'm also on LinkedIn at RJ Singh, Facebook as well, RJ Singh Ultra Habits and Ultra Habits on Instagram. But if you want to connect with me on social media you can go anywhere there or just go to the website which really has everything we also have a podcast where we interview thought leaders academics executives military elite athletes and it's all about operating systems and habits so you'll get a lot out of the website there That's fantastic. And I will put all of those links in the show notes and description below. So you can go and check that out later. RJ, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Rachel. Take care. Own your day or your day will own you. I think that is my number one takeaway from this episode. If you would like to find out more about RJ, you can jump down to the description and show notes and check out those links. If you've been enjoying the show, it would be awesome if you could take a moment and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app so more people like you can join us on this journey towards mindset mastery. I can't wait to have your company again next week. Until then, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited to.